Today on Stronger Than Reason, we're keeping things loose with Viagra Boys. Welcome to Stronger Than Reason. I know I just threw you a curveball last time when I did an episode about ghosts, but you know I'm going to throw another curveball this time because I'm just like Pedro Martinez here. That's right, I'm going to talk about another new-ish band that hails from Sweden. See, the problem was that I mentioned them in the last episode and then went down the rabbit hole again. I went back and listened to all three of their albums and caught up on their live performances from last year. And here's what I realized. It's a special thing to talk about a band that's still in their prime, uh, to get into a band that's still on the upswing, that still has the energy of youth, relatively speaking, one that's reaching the peak of their power and still feels dangerous, and one that you look at and think, yeah, these folks might really be living the life that their music suggests. They might still be young and crazy enough to pull it off. Because let's face it, folks, a lot of the bands that I've been talking about on here are of a certain age, and they're in one of several awkward situations. They may no longer be playing music at all. Uh, they may be playing as a nostalgia act with a compromised or diminished lineup, or they're playing as a nostalgia act with the same lineup. Uh, very few of the bands I've been talking about, though, are still in the thick of their careers making new music that holds up to their best work. And there's there's no surprise there. Some of these bands are <laughs> 30 or 40 years old, and it's hard to have any juice left after so long. And Rush did until Neil Peart passed, RIP, uh, because I think fans can legit argue that their final album, Clockwork Angels, was their magnum opus. Nine Inch Nails still have that creative spark, and The Cure certainly are still out there doing what they do better than anyone else, if they'd ever release the next album, that is. But a lot of these bands have been tarnished by time, and that's only fair. But it is fun to dig into a band that's just getting started, that's doing something new and exciting, that just keeps getting better and better, and that more and more people are digging. And that's why I talked about Ghost last time, and that's why I'm going to talk about this band today. And I mentioned in the last episode that they were Ghost's countrymen, and that is true from a certain point of view because everyone in the band is Swedish except their lead singer who was born in the States and for many years lived in California. And for some reason or other, he decided to move to Stockholm a few years back. I think he said his mother was Swedish, if I have the story right. So that kind of makes sense. And he happened to befriend some folks who played music. And this American guy wasn't a pro singer, but he happened to go out for karaoke one night. And when he killed it on a Mariah Carey song, his buddies put their hands to their chins, glanced at one another knowingly, and nodded in unison. At least I like to think that's how it went down. But all I know for sure is that the bassist approached him and suggested that they start a band. And I'm really grateful he did that because the world is now a better place for it. I'm speaking for myself, of course, but also for their millions of fans who've been blown away by their unique look, sound, and humor. Yes, humor. What is it about Swedish bands and humor? I mean, did ABBA have humor? I don't really know. Uh, like many people, I have a passing familiarity with ABBA, but that's about it. Although I do find some of their 
70s outfits to be pretty funny these days. But this band's humor stems more from their lowbrow aesthetic and their satire of modern life. And that band is, of course, Viagra Boys. And you might think I'm joking that they can't really be called that, but I assure you, I am not joking, and they are. So let me talk about first hearing Viagra Boys. And I remember the moment pretty well. It was in December of 2019. Again, we're living in pre-pandemic America, just months away from the mayhem that would break out. And my best buddy slash bandmate and I were on our way to our favorite barbecue place, you know, as you do. And side point, if you're in the United States and eating barbecue north of the Mason-Dixon line, you're doing it all wrong. I just want to let you know that. Anyway... As is the usual, he was playing DJ while another friend of ours drove, and I was, of course, chilling in the back seat. And my bandmate has a huge appetite for new music, so he was streaming all of his recent favorites. And this tune came on that immediately caught my ear because it was groovy as hell. I'm a sucker for a tight rhythm section, and this band was really tight. I remember two things about the first few seconds of this song. One... The bass was all fuzzed out, and I love a fuzzed out bass. The bass line itself was very simple. It sounded to me as if it were the first three quarters of the bass line from Smells Like Teen Spirit. But the second thing was that the beat was accentuated by what sounded like someone hitting a ping pong ball. And then the singing started. And at this point, anyone who's ever heard this band can see it coming from a mile away. A deep voice guy starts chanting names of sports baseball basketball but he throws in other random stuff short shorts wiener dog the chorus is pretty rousing musically but vocally it's just him saying sports over and over like in a very deadpan way so you quickly figure out that he's describing his love of sports as defined by him so he throws in surfboard rugby ball beach ball cigarette getting high in the morning, buying things off the internet. And of course, it goes completely off the rails by the end, and he's ranting and raving about his love for these so-called sports in a classic meltdown kind of lyric. And it's clear that this is a piss take of people's sport obsessions. And it's funny, the song is also kick-ass, so this song, which is naturally called Sports, became a viral sensation in late 2019, which is exactly why we were listening to it in the car. And we played it a couple times. We were just laughing and laughing. So for the next few days, we'd just quote this song and hilarity would ensue. So naturally, I checked out this band as soon as I got home. They had a few videos, including one for sports, and it just made me love them even more because frankly, You don't have the proper context for this band until you know what they really look like. And in their own words, they look like a bunch of English teachers and their speed dealer. (laughs) With the speed dealer part being played to a T by the American lead singer, Sebastian Murphy. Uh, This guy embodies the Viagra Boys aesthetic, an out-of-shape tattooed slacker with wraparound shades who's pretty much the antithesis of an athlete. In the video for sports, he stalks around a tennis court, singing the song while a match is in full play, gut out, shirtless, disrupting the game, even getting hit in the head a few times, which doesn't phase him at all. It's almost as if Ricky from the Trailer Park Boys were suddenly fronting a band. 
Or maybe it's Randy, since he's not wearing a shirt. But anyway, the whole video is just an apt satire of sports fandom, highlighting the gulf between the elite athletes and those who worship them in armchairs surrounded by Doritos and empty cans of Miller Lite. So even now, I watch this video and just laugh the whole way through. I just watched it a few more times before recording this. It's just so absurd. Uh, But the song itself is just super powerful. The music is straightforward and even simple. And remarkably, none of the band members overplays and their parts just sort of mesh perfectly. And I know it's, you know, a catchphrase of this show at this point, but it bears repeating simplicity is power, right? And someday I will produce t-shirts with slogans on them. And of course that will be one. And another one will say Wikipedia, it's the next best thing to learning something. And maybe another will just say groovy. Yeah. You know, so that's what I need to start here as a merch department. Uh, but the other songs on the album had similarly silly subjects, uh, ingesting research chemicals for fun, hiding your sexual deviance from your family having difficulties learning, decomposition as the great social equalizer, amphetamines, and of course dog shows, and all of this dished up with a heaping dose of self-loathing and loserdom. At first, I couldn't really believe that they were calling themselves Viagra Boys, though. I mean, those of us, you know, of a certain age can remember when Green Jello were forced by the makers of Jello to change their name to Green Jelly. And when Ogre and Martin Atkins had to change the name of their solo project from Ritalin to RX. So how did Viagra Boys get away with naming themselves after the famed Little Blue Pill that famously helps guys in the sack? Uh, I guess the answer is because Pfizer hasn't sued them yet. Uh, But their goofy name kind of hints toward one of the band's main interests, which is skewering toxic masculinity and the patriarchy in general. After all, the fact that Viagra, the drug, is so successful is an ever-present reminder that manly guys frequently need chemical help to stay manly. Uh, But the downside of all of this is that any interest you may have in this band is sure to doom you into getting a very specific kind of internet ad for the rest of your online life. But it's a price I'm willing to pay for such great music. But uh, all of the songs that I heard from them exhibited the band's trademark sound, which is a mashup of head-bobbing rock and post-punk goodness delivered in a no-nonsense way with Sebastian's inimitable growl. And I don't know much about the individual band members, but I do know this. I cannot imagine this band without Sebastian as the lead vocalist. It was like he was born to do this. And I've listened to a few interviews with him over the years, And it's pretty clear that his image isn't just superficial. He really was that guy earlier in his life. And I'm not sure, but I think his crazy lifestyle at the time might have had something to do with him moving from California to Sweden. See, he'd been into a bunch of stuff that definitely wasn't good for him. And he decided to become a tattoo artist, which led to him getting a gig inking in Stockholm and winding up on that karaoke stage singing Mariah Carey. But by his account, the band's subsequent success encouraged him to give up the dangerous stuff. He said he decided he wanted to live a little longer to see what happened with the band. And five years later, the band is bigger than ever and only getting more popular. Uh, I also heard an interview recently with their bassist, Henrik Hockert, who in my mind should win a Nobel Peace Prize along with the drummer, Tor Sjöden. These guys 
are the tightest rhythm section since Bootsy and Catfish Collins played with Jabo Starks on James Brown's Sex Machine. And it's not that they're playing funk, because it's not really funky in a Parliament or Chili Peppers kind of sense, but it is mega tight and it's always groovy. But anyway, this interview I heard with Henrik was very interesting for one it gave some perspective on the band from someone other than Sebastian, who tends to handle most of the press. But for another, he described the band as a part-time thing, which is kind of surprising, but not really when you think about it, because he said that despite their massive success, they're not really earning a ton of money as musicians. There just isn't much money to be earned, even as a moderately successful band Tours bring in money, of course, but that gets mostly eaten by expenses. So as such, he and some of the other band members are splitting their time between the band and day jobs, and he's working as a carpenter. Yeah, carpenter. So that could, of course, be a pretty great gig, but you know, let's face it, it's very different from being the bassist in Viagra Boys. So you can just imagine you're in Sweden getting your house built and you strike up a conversation with the carpenter on site, this big bald guy with a lot of tattoos, and he's like, yeah, about half of the year I'm on tour with the Viagra Boys, and the other half of the year I'm doing this. <laughs> I mean, that's that would be awesome and mind-blowing. Uh, but it's relevant to something else I've talked about on this show. Uh, most recently in episode 50, when I was drawing the pictures with the long tail of the music industry, because even with their success, Viagra Boys aren't far enough on the left of that listenership curve to be huge earners. But that said, I think they are moving left still and may get there eventually. But, you know, that's the state of the industry these days. There's less dough to go around. Streaming services don't pay. Ticketmaster's screwing everyone. And for sure, if this were 30 years ago, Viagra Boys would be multimillionaires. But as it is, they're still struggling. And you know, if they can't do this full time, what hope do the rest of us have? That's right, folks. So don't quit your day job. But shortly after I first heard them, I ran out and bought their first album, which is called Street Worms. And they released around that time a live performance as well on YouTube, which they called The Shrimp Sessions, because for some reason, Sebastian is fixated on shrimp and they come up all the time in his lyrics in imagery. It's just part of the band mythology at this point that you just sort of have to accept. But the whole performance of the shrimp sessions occurred in an active seafood packing plant with forklifts driving around the band. Uh, and all the band members are bundled up from the cold, but they managed to blast through most of the tunes from Street Worms. And to me, these live versions sound even more raw and immediate than the album, which is already pretty raw and immediate. Uh, it's just a fantastic performance, tons of energy. Live, they're always giving 100%. And, you know, I should say a few words about the rest of the band. Uh, besides Sebastian, Henrik, and Tor, they have Oscar Carls on sax and guitar. And I have to say, the sax adds a lot, though he doesn't actually play it on every song. He sort of mixes it up. Uh, through the first few albums, they had uh, Benjamin Vallée on guitar, and his very distinctive sound propelled a lot of their songs. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2021, which I was very sorry to hear. A really talented guy. R.I.P. On the upside, 
Uh, if there is an upside, it didn't slow down the band. They recruited another guitarist, Linus Hilborg, and went on to record a third album. Uh, they also have a keyboardist. During Street Worms and the Shrimp Sessions, it was Martin Aaron Krona, but he left to be replaced with Elias Jungfist. A note about their keyboard usage, though. They do sometimes veer into synth rock territory, like the song Creatures on their second album, which is straight up synth pop, really. So I like that they have such a wide variation in their sound. They are not a one-trick pony by any means. And I don't think that's a calculated thing, because Henrik has stated that they're not chasing any particular styles when they go into a new album. It's really just a matter of what comes out naturally when the six of them are in the same room playing together. But anyway, the songs on Street Worms are just great. Sports, of course, was brilliant. And I particularly like the groove on the opening track, which is called Down in the Basement. And, you know, I was surprised to hear another song, Slow Learner, which had 10 beats to the bar, which is something it has in common with Cerise by Ghost, at least a part of that song, which is kind of interesting. You don't hear that too often. But other albums would follow in time, and it was always a pleasure to see that they had released something new. And I remember when the sophomore album, Welfare Jazz, came out in January 2021, because it was a time much like now, the early desolate part of the year, it was cold and miserable out, and you know I had nothing to look forward to except a three-month block of unmitigated work, as many of us do, until finally spring, daylight, and warmth once again return. And just an aside here, I have to go tell you this uh the older i get the harder it is for me to slog through the winter in the northeast u.s here i am not a fan of the winter i grew up in the appalachian mountains in a town with notoriously bad weather a place where it would regularly snow in september and may and had a lot of cloudy gloomy days i remember winters years ago when my back porch would get walled in by snowdrifts three or four feet high and I would have to climb up to crawl out onto the top of the snow to walk over to my neighbor's house. Uh, I remember one year the snow came up to about six inches of the crossbar of our swing set when I was a little kid. So that must have been what, like five, five and a half feet of snow? <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. But I never minded the snow as a kid until I grew up and had to shovel it and drive in it. And these days, snow and I don't really get along, and I'm not into winter sports unless you count sunglasses on while you sleep as a sport, which I do. Anyway, in January of 2021, the new Viagra Boys album helped me to forget all of that. It did the impossible by putting a smile on my face in deepest winter. So they quickly released a video for the opening track of Welfare Jazz, a song called Ain't Nice, which is pretty much Sebastian documenting all his misanthropic behavior in detail. And the video was hilarious, as usual. It's just a dolly shot moving from left to right down a city block, while a drunken Sebastian throws up, accosts people, and generally ruins everyone's day, thus portraying the song's premise. Uh, it has a surprise ending, though, which I'm not going to spoil here, but suffice to say it brilliantly dovetails with the video for the second single, which was Creatures, that I already mentioned, the synth pop one. And this song is a true earworm. I can listen to it over and over, and when I do, I find myself humming it for days because it's just incredibly catchy. 
And of course, this is a band that fills its songs with hooks, little bits that you remember and just want to hear again and again. And I guess Creatures is a song that extols the virtue of bottom feeders everywhere, but the video is surreal, it's hilarious, skewering a number of targets, including elitism, consumerism, and existential ennui. And I can't really do it justice here. You're just going to have to go out and watch it for yourself. Just be sure to watch Ain't Nice First and then Creatures in the proper order since they go together. And there's a lot of other good stuff on this album. Stylistically, it's a bit more varied than Street Worms. Not only did they dip into electronic music with Creatures, but there are a little interstitial bits on this album and maybe fewer proper songs, which makes it, you know, a more interesting and varied listen. The songs Toad and Girls and Boys kind of riff on their usual sound. Both are really rock bangers. Maybe the most curious song is The Closer. Now, keep in mind that Street Worms ended with the song Amphed Anarchy, which was more or less six minutes of just what it says, just total chaos. But Welfare Jazz ends with In Spite of Ourselves, which is not only a cover of a song by the brilliant John Prine, but it's a duet between Sebastian and Amy Taylor, who some of you may know as the front woman of the Australian pub rock band Amel and the Sniffers, or maybe you didn't know that, but now you do. Anyway, they did a video for this song, and it's great how it captures the low culture feel of not only Viagra Boys and Amel and the Sniffers, but of Prine's very witty and satirically shit-kicking lyrics. This song is just a perfect train wreck of all these different ingredients, and it might be the most transcendent moment on this album, and I encourage you to check out the video to see Amy and Sebastian each independently green-screened, playing against each other in front of an ever-changing background of stock footage. In fact, they didn't even remove the Getty Images watermarks from the backgrounds, all of which, again, underscores the very low-culture and low-budget feel of this song and its characters. It's just great stuff, folks. Um, now, a lot has been said about how the band threw in a minor chord after the chorus and their own arrangement of the song and how the singers expressions get less happy through the video and i have to agree it does throw all the happy-go-lucky lyrics into quotation marks and kind of suggests that not everything in this little world is so pleasant and by the end of the song the jam gets pretty amazing because the band throws in a breakbeat on what was essentially a country song and the band just rocks out in their usual crazy noisy punk way which is very cool take a gander of it it's a real work of art yet funny and somehow poignant. Naturally, with the new album, they did another live video and gave it the imaginative name of Shrimp Sessions 2. This time they played on a soundstage somewhere. Again, this gives a chance to hear how the band recreate these songs live, and it's notable that their live version of Creatures is completely different from the album. It's acoustic and drastically slowed down and sounds a lot more like swans than synth pop. But then in July 2022, they released their third and now most recent album, Cave World. And I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even realize this had come out at first because I lost track of the band for a year or more in there somehow. Uh, and it wasn't until recently that I kind of came back to see what was up with them. And that's a real shame since I missed several opportunities to see them live in 2023 because they were playing the Northeast U.S. almost exactly a year ago. So I admit, yeah, I'm an idiot. 
But fortunately, this is the age of cell phones, and we all know the only reason to go to a live show is to film the whole damn thing and put it on YouTube as soon as you get home. So because of this mindset, I can now enjoy these shows from the safety of my underground bunker. But I recently got Cave World. Uh, I bought all their releases, by the way, on Apple digitally because I was just impatient, I guess. Uh, But I, I bought it and I recently gave it a good deep listen. And it really delivers, uh, much like its predecessor. It splits up the real songs with lots of little transitional and experimental pieces, having 12 tracks in all. And the main songs span a pretty wide variety of styles again. So you have a song like Punk Rock Loser, which is a down-tempo stomp sort of thing. And the video is a funny send-up of old westerns with Sebastian playing maybe the least threatening gunslinger ever. And with a great twist ending that subverts all the usual tropes of tough cowboys. And, you know, it's clear, if nothing else, this is a band that's getting better video budgets these days. But then you have a song like Ain't No Thief, which gives you more of the sound that you know and love from this band, which is like the Rolling Stones on meth. Oh, wait, you know, I'm sure the Rolling Stones probably are on meth, or at least formaldehyde. So that's a bad simile. So how about like... Talking Heads on Meth. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Anyway, this song is killer with Tor and Henrik earning overtime pay for keeping up this absolutely blistering beat. I mean, really, with a rhythm section this good, why do you even need the rest of the band? And it's not to put down the rest of the band, but this rhythm section is serving up some serious cake, like a cake so good the icing hardly matters. You could put anything you want on top of that cake and it would still taste great. And, you know, my metaphors suck today, too. I'm just sorry about that, guys. But as the kids say today, this song slaps. And the video is amazing with Sebastian playing a shyster faith healer. And yes, I realize that's redundant. Uh, There are other great songs on here like ADD, which is another synth-based number, and the Cognitive Trade-Off Hypothesis, which is a slower, more, more intellectual kind of song, and is more surprising for that. But Thematically, Cave World seems to harken back to a time when humanity was much more simple to the point where we were living in trees. And, you know, we're maybe not as hung up on the less savory realities of modern day life, like struggling with mental health, like gun violence, like dealing with social media, and the mistrust of or outright refusal to believe facts. So it's a good listen, and I understand its release is just 18 months after Welfare Jazz because it was the product of the band holding up during lockdowns and they just needed something to do. So I'm glad at least that someone was productive during COVID because it sure wasn't me. And naturally they recorded these tunes live as the Shrimp Sessions 3, this time in someone's tool shed as that guy is quietly using an angle grinder in the corner. So yeah, since Cave World, they've been touring a lot. The tour apparently wound up in October, 2023 in San Francisco Not really sure what they're up to now. Hopefully they're somewhere writing new material. Maybe Henrik is busy building houses again. Who knows? Uh, Well, why do I love them? Um, Well, for one, you can't imagine my delight when I first heard these guys because they made me feel all the things that great music is supposed to make you feel. Just joy and a desire to share that joy by telling other people about them. And, you know, much like Ghost, they gave me proof that I could enjoy new music, too. 
and not just the electronic, industrial, and alternative hits of the 80s and 90s. Um, There are great new bands out there. That's a fact. They're just waiting for you to hear them. Bands that are still in the upswing and not just nostalgia acts for moody Gen Xers dreaming of retirement. Ah, retirement. But what I especially love about this band, though, is that they're subversive. And that's something I don't really talk about enough on here. My love for subversive art. It's easy to have an agenda and to beat people over the head with it. The trouble is people will usually detect your sincerity right away and immediately tune you out. So if you're trying to convince or persuade, it could be much more effective to sugarcoat your message. And, you know, the best example I can think of here is John Lennon's Imagine. I mean, I just saw this song performed in Times Square on New Year's Eve, just seconds before the ball dropped, because it sounds like a kind of kumbaya song, doesn't it? At least on the surface. I mean, it is a song about bringing humanity together, but if you really listen to the lyrics, it suggests doing that by having all of us reject and overthrow the world's greatest power structures, the idea of sovereign nations, organized religion, and rampant consumerism. And each of these gets disemboweled in its own verse. And go read the lyrics for yourself if you don't believe me. So John Lennon encapsulated these fairly radical ideas into a pretty and innocuous little pop song that makes people feel very warm and fuzzy. And that, in a nutshell, is a great example of subversion. It's really a song about rising up and overthrowing the government, the church, and the wealthy. You know, a powerful hidden message that probably wouldn't have gone over so well if Lennon had just said, screw your country, your religion, and buying crap. But keep in mind, though, that John Lennon himself as a rich guy, bought a lot of crap. So folks, always consider the source of the message because hypocrisy is a real thing. Uh, As an aside, I also have to point out that he also wrote the Beatles song Revolution, which was ironically critical of real revolutions in the sense that any real revolution is really just a starting point. And, you know, it's insufficient in itself for real change. For any revolution to work, You have to convince people that there's a solid plan for afterward and that they're going to be better off. Otherwise, why would anyone bother? So that is kind of interesting because if you put those ideas together, didn't Lenin really have an alternative to government, religion, and consumerism? Short answer is no. No, he didn't. But anyway, how are the Viagra boys subversive? Well, on the surface, they seem to be celebrating anti-intellectualism. After all, their lead singer looks like a drug dealer from Central Casting, and they're singing about apparent nonsense like sports, shrimps, and monkeys. But if you dig into the lyrics, you'll see that Sebastian is often doing a little social commentary. He's casting a light on the hypocrisy of others, like in Down in the Basement, or pointing out how gun worship is in itself a kind of weakness, like in Troglodyte. Or he's making fun of sports fans and toxic masculinity in sports. And his delivery is often very tongue-in-cheek or deliberately absurd or exaggerated. In other words, it's satire. I mean, I doubt his friend is really all dressed up in latex in the basement with one red light hanging from the ceiling and a live goat standing on a small chair in the middle of the room. At least, I hope that's not real. Uh, These references are jokes that... Only some people will get, and those people happen to comprise their audience, because it's not meant for everyone, and that's by design. 
And, you know, I dig their more general message of not taking everything so seriously and kind of ridiculing hyper-masculinity and right-wing nonsense. But beyond the lyrics, even with his image, Sebastian is at odds with the stereotype of a rock star as being super confident and larger than life. Everything about him screams that he's an outsider, uh, someone who's not living within polite society as you and I are, someone who's seeing the rest of us through a window and commenting on what he sees. But as I said before, it's impossible to imagine anyone else fronting this band half as effectively. The fact is, folks, this is what modern alternative music sounds like. And thank Jeebus for that, because for a while I was thinking alternative was dead. I highly doubt you'll ever hear Viagra Boys on what's left of commercial radio. No one is going to sing sports as the ball drops in Times Square. This is not music for the masses. Uh, Like the characters in their songs, the Viagra Boys exist outside of the mainstream. They pass from person to person through word of mouth, or like a virus or some kind of meme in its original Richard Dawkins sense. And they appeal to, you know, a swath of the public that's in tune with such things. And that ain't everyone. Your rich Aunt Becky probably never heard of the Viagra Boys. And if she had, she probably wouldn't understand them at all. I mean... I don't want to presuppose about your rich Aunt Becky, but I'm guessing odds are in my favor, given what I read about her on the internet. You know what I mean. And as for the rest of the band, they're keeping it real with simple instrumentation. All these tunes are powered by rock and roll fundamentals. And most importantly, one of the greatest rhythm sections I've heard in a long time. Tor and Henrik are a force of nature in their own, but you add Sebastian's vocals and stage presence And you have a uniquely compelling act, not to mention all the other folks who are contributing a lot in their own ways. As a such a big band, they are super tight, have lots of energy. They all seem to be going in the same direction. They have a great sense of humor. And I think they're well poised to carry the banner of alternative rock into the second half of the 20s and beyond. Like Ghost, they're ample proof that the spirit of rock and especially of alternative rock is alive and well. And that's why I love them. Well, there you have it, folks. Another of my modern favorites, Viagra Boys, maintaining Sweden's rep for kick-ass music. I'd like to think Viagra Boys hang out with ABBA and Ghost in their spare time. I mean, Sweden isn't really that big, right? I mean, all these folks must know each other, right? I'm sure it's just a matter of time before ABBA and Papa Emeritus IV have cameos in a Viagra Boys video. It's just a matter of time. You're listening to Stronger Than Reason either on YouTube or as an Apple or Spotify podcast. I think it's pretty likely, pretty likely that the next episode will bring us back into more familiar waters, though I've enjoyed this excursion into newer bands. We'll do it again sometime, but first, you know, I'll have to actually find and listen to some more new bands because I've run out. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stay strong.